Hello and welcome to The Gold Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Koskila, and with me today, as always, is my co-host, Helena Beer, the editor of Gold. How are you doing today, Helena? I'm doing very well, thanks, and very happy to be getting into the swing of season three with another great interview. How are you doing? Yes, I'm doing really, really well, thank you. Now, as you've already mentioned, we've got a fascinating guest this week in Pav Rishi Raj, Director and Head of Pharmacovigilance at Ipsen, who shares with us his incredible knowledge of the pharmacovigilance space. That's right. It's such an interesting interview, and that will be coming up shortly. At this point in the Gold Podcast, we usually look at the latest pharma news in things you might have missed, but today is a little different. We recorded this episode's interview on the morning of the 8th of September 2022, and later that day we learnt of the death of Queen Elizabeth II. Our thoughts are with the British royal family at this tremendously difficult time. Often on this podcast, we discuss inspirational leaders, and the Queen was the absolute epitome of this, giving her life to serve her country and leading with humility and kindness, elegance and poise, and the utmost loyalty and pride. For many, she was a guiding light, or to borrow a poignant phrase, the strength and stay of our nation through almost three quarters of a century of unprecedented change. Whether you're British, part of the Commonwealth or not, her life and legacy will undoubtedly enrich our lives and there is so much we can all learn from her 70 years of extraordinary and unwavering dedication. To Her Majesty, we thank you. Now, moving on to our interview segment, I believe you had quite the insightful chat about the little known field of pharmacovigilance with today's guest. Yes, I did indeed. So Pavrishi Raj, Director and Head of Pharmacovigilance at Ipsen, joined us in the Gold Podcast studio for an interview. He popped in for our first in-person chat of season three. So Pav is an expert in the pharmacovigilance field with over 20 years of experience under his belt, over which time he has held a multitude of different positions at various pharma companies across drug and patient safety. He is also currently the chair of the ABPI Pharmacovigilance Expert Network. His knowledge of pharmacovigilance is vast, so it was brilliant to hear his assessment of the fields past, present and future. Sounds brilliant. Let's have a listen. Thank you so much for joining us in the podcast studio today, Pab. It's lovely to have you with us for our first in-person recording of season three. So welcome to the Gold Podcast. Thank you very much and a very good morning to you, Helena. Um, and thank you very much for inviting me. You're more than welcome. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Um, so to kick off, we always like to discuss career journeys um, and really get to the root of people's passion for their particular field. Pharmacovigilance is yours. So looking at detecting, assessing, understanding and preventing adverse effects of medication. Um, you've clearly dedicated your professional career to this field with 20 years of experience across drug safety under your belt. I think I'm right in saying. Um, but could you tell us a little bit about what kick-started your journey into the world of pharmacovigilance? It's a very good question. And uh, firstly, I'll start off by mentioning that uh, I actually fell into pharmacovigilance by chance, oh. as you do. <laughs> um, I, in, in my first organization, I was in a different function um, and I joined a lunch and learn um, as, as a new graduate. And from there, um, I fell into love with pharmacovigilance. It was a, it's a discipline which, has, which fascinated me from the outset. It combines 
biomedical, medical, uh, pharmacology, all into one. Uh, so it was a curious mind. Yes, I was younger then, back then, um, <laughs> but that passion continues. Um, and I think it's due exclusively down to the purpose of pharmacovigilance. <laughs> and every single day is a different day in my role. Yeah, brilliant. That's great. That lunch and learn type of event is just brilliant, isn't it? In terms of being able to to spark um, kind of interest in people where they wouldn't necessarily have known that it's a thing. It's a really valuable um uh, offering for for pharma companies to to have indeed and this is something um, which we um, in my organizations which i've served um, have always advocated that we must continue to do this uh, to ensure that the next batch of pharmacovigilance <laughs> scientists are also stimulated into the subject area and it's through this continuity uh, which we then start to to realise um, mm. our passions for the subjects we were interested in. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Um, so with such a history in the field, I imagine you've seen quite a lot of change um, over the years. Um, so we'll come on to the importance and value of pharmacovigilance later. But for now, could you shed some light on how the field has changed over your time in the industry, starting with where it really began, what it's become today, and potentially where it should be as well? Uh, and indeed, so the perception of pharmacovigilance has has always been historically it's a compliance function uh, with audit and inspection responsibilities. Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, there is an integral part of that, mm -hmm. but more so, um, there's also a perception that it's a reactive function, um, yeah. and this function should only uh, react uh, to a stimulus, i.e., um, questions from health authorities or, or auditors alike. Mm -hmm. Now the shift has actually become more proactive um, and pharmacovigilance has really moved uh, towards being a key strategic enabler. Mm -hmm. And of course, as you mentioned, uh, this constitutes a, a significant change management process, but it all starts with the mindset and increasing the visibility of pharmacovigilance uh, within an organization. And it is that which then has a consequential effect on the accountability of an organization mm -hmm to serve uh, the patients um, uh, moving forward. But one thing I will, I will say here is that um, it was a very um, slow shift yeah. um, because our current, or I would say historical ways in ph of pharmacovigilance has always been that I mentioned we're a compliance driven, highly manual operational um, function who, uh, who do not add much strategic value. Mm -hmm. And if we think of a pyramid, um, with the top of the pyramid as a, a quality and compliance piece, mm -hmm. and in the middle somewhere is the benefit risk, I mean, ultimately, that's what pharmacovisions is. The mm -hmm. end goal is around benefit risk. And then we have the operations. But the future, future state is we must inverse that pyramid, mm -hmm. where benefit risk goes to the top. Yeah. Um, and uh, PV operations and the quality and compliance piece formed, forms an integral part of the pyramid, but the ultimate objective still remains benefit risk. Yeah. And it's through the benefit risk we can then start to have sort of um, strategic value across the organization. Brilliant. That yeah. sounds like it's come a long way, but there's also so much further to go and lots of potential there. Yeah. So um, 
I know we have spoken a lot on the podcast about the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on various um, aspects of pharma, but how would you say the pandemic has had an impact on pharmacovigilance in particular? I think the pandemic um, has not only increased the visibility of pharmacovigilance, I think we are now um, seeing millions of um, self-qualified um, pharmacoepidemiologists <laughs> and pharmacovigilance scientists. And I, I want to share a personal story here. Mm -hmm. um, family and I have always had um, multiple conversations around what I do on a daily basis. And when we discuss this around dinner or a coffee, um, they never actually, they have taken interest, but they haven't actually taken full interest. Mm. But actually, when COVID-19 ha happened, unfortunately, they started to then ask some curious questions. Yeah. Is that not what you do, Pav, on a daily <laughs> basis? Yes, indeed. That's what I do. And this is what I've been saying for the last 15, 16 <laughs> years. It's nice to be heard. Um, so I think that that shift um, uh, has happened across the population mm -hmm. and COVID-19 with the, obviously with the successful vaccine rollout here in the United Kingdom uh, and, and, and Europe as well um, has really propelled pharmacovigilance to the forefront of not only the decision makers but also the wider population mm -hmm. and I think COVID-19 has really unlocked this proactive and integrated mindset which we have been calling out for mm -hmm. the regulatory frameworks in which we are um, enabled through um, back in the day were quite fluffy and i say back in the day 20 years ago mm -hmm. but now with um, a modular structure in place through the good pharmacovigilance practices uh, which were endorsed in uh, 2012 has really ensured that we move pharmacovigilance um, in, in a structured manner, uh, but we've also integrated this benefit-risk mindset um, as a blueprint. That's great. So do you think we'd have got to this point of sort of awareness of, of the, the function without the pandemic? Would it have just made uh, much slower progress or do you think it would have got to that point eventually? <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, I, I, think, I think a bit of both there, Helena. I think um, the internal uh, presence and visibility of pharmacovigilance would continue to be an incremental gain rather mm -hmm. than uh, a transformation or yeah. An, an, yeah. an exponential. But this is all about engaging in, internally as well. Mm -hmm. And I know externally there are mountains of institutions, mountains of trade associations who are really pushing um, the pharmacovigilance uh, agenda forward. Mm -hmm. Because if we can predict uh, safety <clears throat> quicker, mm -hmm. then we can make better informed decisions yeah, for yeah. our patients. Yeah. And that's ultimately um, what we try to do on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and every single person in pharmacovigilance really needs to understand our purpose. Yeah. Why do we walk into the office? And mm -hmm. once we have that purpose in place, then um, our vision becomes clearer. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great overview. Thank you. Um, so you mentioned earlier um, that pharmacovigilance has become a strategic enabler within businesses. Can you expand on this a little bit for our audience? I can. Um, <clears throat> so in, in the context of pharmac pharmacovigilance, um, a big picture approach 
to safety, and I, I will use safety as, as an umbrella term, uh, shows that benefit risk should always be viewed um, as two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. They're not opposite sides. Um, and this is uh, a huge um, gain in terms of the uh, GVP or the Good Pharmacovigilance Practices I mentioned in 2012. Mm -hmm. And that's enabled us to ensure that data on uh, adverse reactions or interactions uh, and further medication errors um, can also provide real-time market feedback mm -hmm. uh, about the ways uh, medicines are used um, and also um, experienced in various populations, not just one subset of populations. Mm -hmm. And that also ultimately allows us to then understand the safety profiles yeah. of our medicines. So in a, in a sense, one of the most important documents um, for pharmacovigilance uh, are risk management plans. Mm -hmm. And now these risk management plans are um, uh, developed and created mm -hmm. um, from clinical trials all the way through to post-authorization or marketing. Um, and too often these plans are considered an obligation. They are an obligation. Uh, we must submit these um, at time of marketing authorization. But we must view these as a useful tool. Um, and these tools can then ex expand and improve our understanding of the medicines, which will then lead to better outcomes for mm -hmm. our patients. Yeah. And this new opportunity of real-world insights are further uh, expanded by, I guess, the emergence of social listening, uh, which can enable patients to become more patients, uh, companies to become more patient-centric. Mm -hmm. um, by tapping into the patient reported outcomes. Yeah, yeah. that's great. And patient centricity is one of those like buzz phrases it is at indeed. the minute, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> in indeed. Yeah. So in your opinion, um, why is this often forgotten field of pharma so important? Again, a very good question. Um, Organisations, pharma companies uh, are under growing pressure to demonstrate the benefit-risk balance of each of their products. And although I've mentioned safety must play a more strategic role, uh, this extends to us being part of the discussions in the development process, mm -hmm. so in from phase one, um, even to the point of defining how a medicine's profile can, can benefit uh, in terms of bottom line. Mm -hmm. But bringing a medicine to market is just part of an equation um, and there is other parameters like reimbursement so pharmacoeconomics um, is a discipline where it's bringing pharmacovigilance leaders into the discussion mm -hmm. and pharmacovigilance um, we, we spoke about um, strategic uh, enabling, enabling needs to be at the table from the start and I mentioned also at the very start of this podcast that we cannot be a reactive function. Mm. And in order for us to be proactive, we need to be at the table at the Absolutely, start. Yeah. So rather than trying to gather data later, um, we have to have data incorporated into the medicines development plan. So the data and the pharmacovigilance supports a company's um, insights for patient value, et cetera, et cetera. 
The safety data can also address cost effectiveness, reduced morbidity, more mortality, um, and so forth. And we also have to um, be mindful of the impacts on the healthcare system as mm -hmm. well. Access is, is one of those parameters. But pharmacovigilance and safety, and I use the, the words very interchangeably, um, are likely to assume m much more prominent roles going forward now. Mm -hmm. um, whether these are acquisitions or whether these are um, just coal companies um, assessing the, the benefit risk profiles of their medicines. But we ultimately have to um, ensure that the consequences of pharmacovigilance must be understood. Mm -hmm. Poor pharmacovigilance can lead to detrimental consequences. Yeah. And if these are communicated um, and these are uh, raised, then uh, we will always be strategically uh, enabled as mm -hmm. a function. That's brilliant. Thank you. Um, so with that in mind, the, the importance of the function, um, do you think pharmacovigilance teams are given enough credit for all of their efforts? I would say now they are indeed. Okay. Yes, they are indeed Good. now. Um, I think in some parts of organisations, and of course, none of the organisations I've worked for, but um, I can sort of give you an insight holistically mm -hmm. that we have gone from a compliance function mindset yeah. to a, a strategic enabled um, function. And pharmacovigilance is um, a function where every other function or every other cross function is impacted. Mm -hmm. And every single function from legal to market access to medical affairs to quality to regulatory are impacted by pharmacovigilance mm -hmm. and vice versa. Yeah. And I think the way we leverage this going forward is going to be the ultimate key for strategic enablement. Yeah. yeah. Are there any um, key things that you think pharma and other stakeholders could do um, to help teams feel more valued and integral to the businesses that they serve? Yes, indeed. There needs to be more presence mm -hmm. on, on leadership teams. Pharmacovigilance uh, must be part of the conversation, um, be it in new marketing authorizations or existing marketing authorizations. Pharmacovigilance functions must also ensure that <clears throat> there is presence not only from a local level, but from a regional leading to a global level. Mm -hmm. And certainly, I, d I didn't want to mention the, the B word, Brexit. <laughs> But more so that, you know, we are operating um, under the provisions of the Human Medicines Regulation mm -hmm. um, Part 11 uh, for, for, for uh, pharmacovigilance. So we really need to ensure that we are um, at the forefront of the decision making. Now, we don't have to make the decisions, mm -hmm. but we need to be part of that discussion. Yeah. And I mentioned that uh, previously as well, that we are seen as an integral um, not only supportive function, but that strategic function who can help um, shape the direction of travel mm -hmm. for an organization. Yeah. And if we do not um, allow this, or uh, if leaders do not unlock this, then we will slowly start to be a closed function. Mm -hmm. And I, I must say one thing, Helena, is that um, I've mentioned compliance a lot. Mm -hmm. And I will say that in terms of gravitas, that is our mainstay. Yes. It is our integral, critical driver. 
However, compliance um, is not a subject. Mm -hmm. It's a mindset. And I want everyone on the podcast who's listening to adopt that mindset um, because you can tell someone what to do. But if you do not, if, if that person does not or colleague does not understand why they are doing it, and I think this is what's missing in pharmacovigilance mm -hmm. right now, it's the why. Why are we doing what we're doing? You can ask someone to do something, but if they've got no clue in terms of context, mm -hmm. perspective, overall impact, and how that fits strategically into the direction of an organization, then we're just going to wander aimlessly. Yeah. You know, we're going to be um, knocking on locked doors, as I would say, or closed doors and mm -hmm. hitting our heads uh, against the window thinking, <laughs> why doesn't anyone understand? So yeah. raising the profile will increase the visibility and then, of course, the overall impact yeah. of the um, of the function within the organization. Brilliant. I love that. Compliance is a mindset. It's a great, great soundbite and a, and a really brilliant takeaway for listeners. Um, so looking to the future, um, what do you see lying ahead for pharmacovigilance over the next few years with regards to things like new technologies like AI and uh, automation and that kind of thing? Um, <clears throat> so this is a question, Helena, which I'm asked more or less on a daily basis by my colleagues, uh, some external peers and even some friends, uh, believe it or not. But one thing I will start off by mentioning um, although we understand our purpose, we have sometimes different frameworks to what to operate within. So the first take-home message here is that we need to ensure harmonization across the board. We must converge fast as a discipline and remove disparities to synchronize and align these frameworks. And there are many initiatives um, outside which are driving this harmonization forward. And I will mention one, the ICH, the International um, Council um, for Harmonization, have worked tirelessly and tremendously to create frameworks where everyone in pharmacovigilance can operate and understand their objective is to align and that's how we we must move forward because ultimately our obje objectives remain the same whether you're a pharmacovigilant scientist in the us in australia in the philippines for example or south africa uh, or in the uk i must say um our objective remains the same um and and ultimately this objective remains the same in in the context of we want real-time data, real-time safety data, uh, which uh, can be incorporated into the product information uh, to communicate to our prescribers and patients alike in real time. Mm -hmm. How do we do this? And this ultimately, well, starts with artificial intelligence or automation. Mm -hmm. If we want to make, f if, when, when someone mentions faster, we think of velocity and acceleration. Mm -hmm. So how do we unlock that? Well, artificial intelligence uh, has started to gain traction. And uh, this is now a buzzword across pharmacovigilance. But this paradigm will unlock our abilities to cultivate PV, strategic impact, and of course, 
ultimate outcomes. Mm -hmm. But undoubtedly, I mentioned before, the future of PV remains in artificial intelligence and automation. It's a very hot topic. It's a very hot topic across many um, pharmacovigilance leaders, many functions within internal organizations. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, I know uh, many medical affairs functions which are trying to adopt for, uh, artificial intelligence. But the uptake is quite slow, Helena. It's quite a slow process. And although um, a semi-partial crisis um, will move us towards artificial, artificial intelligence quick, quicker, but we need to be ready at all times. I'll give an example. The, um, our regulator, the MHRA, have already to start started to adopt um, artificial intelligence under the um, the remit of Safety Connect, and that's um, being led by Phil Trigano uh, quite superbly uh, at the agency. And Phil continues to engage the industry around frameworks um, around artificial intelligence. But a key message here is is this for all of my my peers and, and colleagues who are listening. Uh, automation and artificial intelligence does not replace human evaluation. Mm -hmm. We must make this very clear. Yeah. And, and I think I think we have th this uh, perception that we see loads of robots um, dotted around in pharmacovigilance uh, departments sitting on desks, something a bit like iRobot from, yeah. from Will Smith. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, that's not the case. You know, we, yeah. need to, we need to be realistic about this. And I think the perception also is that the artificial intelligence, what it looks like to many is data, then we use artificial intelligence, and then we get the value. That's actually completely incorrect. It's data. And under the data, is, is the data has to be selected, it has to be sourced, it has to be synthesized. Then we have the data science element next, which is around engineering of the data, the cleansing, the normalization, the standardization, um, and of course, the modeling of the data. Mm -hmm. Then we get the value. So I think that part is very important. And one thing I, I will mention is that uh, I was really pleased and over the moon that uh, the SEOMS group, um, who are the Council for International Organizations of Medical Sciences, assembled the working group on artificial in, uh, intelligence in pharmacovigilance. Mm -hmm. Their work is going to be instrumental to this. Yeah. Now, it's never a one-size-fits-all. Every organization's different. Everyone operates differently. Everyone's got different medicines and data is different. But if we can build frameworks around this, so if we've got a map and we, we know where to go and what we should consider, mm -hmm. the adoption and the endorsement by health authorities especially will be second uh, mm -hmm. to none. But artificial intelligence um, and, of course, automation, there are four pillars ultimately to, um, to these. And the four pillars are you have basic basic automation, which involves um, a, an automated workflow and where there's a continuous metrics collection, uh, et cetera, and there's reporting and dashboards are thrown out. Mm -hmm. Then what you have is a robotic process automation, which has an element of reduction of a task, a manual task 
case processing is is an example. Then uh, the third pillar is cognitive automation. And these are tools and systems that are used to engage in human interaction. We leverage uh, natural language processing, and they're often combined with robotic process automation. And you can see that as we're moving through to the fourth pillar, that at each pillar, there is a lot of hands off from a human perspective. Mm -hmm. But the human perspective, as I mentioned at the start, um, must never be replaced, uh, so, so to speak. I'll give you an example. Would you allow two robots or an artificial intelligence um, system to fly a plane? You wouldn't. Yes. Um, so it's the same with pharmacovigilance. vigilance. <laughs> We fly planes all the time, <laughs> so that's important. Uh, but artificial intelligence then is the fourth pillar. It's that's what we're striving towards. Yeah. Um, and these are tools or systems that require probably none or minimal human interaction. Mm -hmm. So this is, again, underpinned by self-learning through experience. So we can ask um, robots and uh, different automation um, paradigms to, to, to work, but they require our input, algorithms mm -hmm. is an example. So there are, I mentioned, um, there are some really good initiatives by uh, the MHRA, uh, which they've already started to adopt on uh, signal detection processes. You've heard of the yellow card reporting scheme. Yeah. Um, and so they have to use signal detection um, processes, uh, which include automation. And it's made reporting easier and it's also made our understanding uh, better as well the european medicines agency also um, <clears throat> are looking at um, building real world data and effectiveness of medicines um, via a project called darwin mm -hmm. um, and uh, darwin stands for data analysis and real world interrogation network so there are so many great initiatives and as an industry we work very closely with the ABPI uh -huh. to ensure that we we want to sing from the same, same hymn sheet yeah. so we engage um, uh, with the, the right stakeholders. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <clears throat> that was brilliant. Thank you. It's <laughs> such an, an amazing overview. And I think it's just evidence that there's huge potential for, for improving efficiencies in, in pharmacovigilance and... Um, it's a real example of a, a kind of hybrid future, isn't it? With that that human element as well as as the AI element, which is is great. Okay. And I think I think one thing I wanted to mention actually was um, I've mentioned the ABPI's work as well, right? Mm. Yep. So um, if I if I may say, you can put this in the podcast if you want as well. That the ABPI have really um, increased the visibility of PV mm -hmm. across the uh, um, trade associations and also the credibility of our group of which i chair mm -hmm. um, is really heightened Brilliant. so we are seen as for example if the mhra have any white papers or anything like that policies mm -hmm. or anything they want guidance on or they want our perspective and likewise we send them their endorsement yeah then they um uh the abpi is a great vehicle and platform yeah to bridge the gap yeah, that's great. Because there's no point the industry going off this way 
and the MHRA or our regulatory authorities going that way. Yeah. Because we want to do the same thing. Yeah, there's got to be alignment, hasn't yeah. there? Yeah. So I'm I'm really for this harmonization. So mm. when I when I do when I do talk externally, I do speak more about how can we get there? Mm. If you look at you have you have many individuals across the world. I don't know whether it's just their health systems and so forth. Say, how can we ever get to global harmonisation, Pav? Mm-hmm. I mean, I always get get asked this every single day. Well, I think you mentioned the COVID nineteen vaccine. Was that not mm-hmm. global harmonisation? Absolutely. How yeah. how amazing everyone came together. Yeah. HTAs, health authorities the NHS, pharma, industry, patient groups, everyone came together very quickly. Absolutely. It's a shame. Why can't we do that on a day-to-day basis? It's a shame it took a crisis uh, to make that happen when actually it could, there's a potential for it to happen day-to-day. Day-to-day, but it's about everyone's commitment and dedication. Yeah, If you want something to happen, we have to change. Yeah. And if we've got the same purpose, then... It will happen. Mm. And the ICH I mentioned, they are doing, they have done, I should say, and continue to do some tremendous work to harmonize the way uh, Pharmacovisions operates all the way from the US down to Japan. So they are working tirelessly on Mm. this on a day-to-day basis. And if they can do it as well, I think the industry as a whole, we can do it pretty quickly as well. So there can be this, um, Helena, but there is, I guess, I wouldn't say reluctance, that's probably mm-hmm. the wrong word, but there is a hesitancy yeah. um, that yeah. um, we forget our purpose. And yeah. <clears throat> I speak at various platforms around the purpose. Now, this isn't a leadership talk, but if we're not connected to the purpose, yeah, then we will wander aimlessly everywhere. I mean... Mm. That's why there's no conversions. Yeah. Um, but what's what's refreshing is that um, if we if we see the same thing in sight, then um, everyone will look towards that goal. Yeah. And uh, and COVID nineteen vaccine is is one where you know some of the companies who are involved in that have demonstrated that even if there are several stakeholders to um, harmonize we can do it yeah absolutely it's an example for the future isn't it definitely brilliant thank you so much for your time Pav and for offering such brilliant insights into pharmacovigilance past present and future Um, I've really enjoyed our conversation and I've learned a lot so thank you so much and thank you as well uh, to Helena uh, that I've really enjoyed the the exchange Um, and the free-flowing openness of our conversations. Thank you very much, Helena. Well, hopefully that conversation will inspire future pharma co-vigilantes listening to this episode. It's always great to get an inside look into these fields that usually operate deep within the sector, and pharma co-vigilance certainly seems to be operating a lot of behind-the-scenes magic. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thanks again to Pav for joining us on the podcast and thank you for listening. Do remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss out on our next episode. Indeed, I couldn't agree more. We'll be back next week with another episode, but until then, it's goodbye from us. See you next week.